Hey, it's Ian Altman. I'm joined this week by best-selling author Leanne Davey. She's here to discuss her latest book, The Good Fight. Use productive conflict to get your team and organization back on track. We're going to talk about the biggest misconception about conflict, why conflict is actually good for innovation rather than bad, the difference between good conflict and nastiness, and tools and techniques you can use to make conflict productive in your organization. You're going to learn a ton from Leanne Davey. Leanne Davey, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ian. I'm thrilled to be here. Excellent. You know, I always love when people say they're thrilled to be here, but they may be prejudging it too early. Because you never know how it's going to play out. <laughs> well, if it goes south, the good news is you know how much I like conflict, so it's all good. Exactly. Can you start by sharing something surprising about you that our audience may not know? Uh, I, I describe myself as an adult onset tap dancer. So uh, I started tap dancing at about 40. Wow. And yeah, yeah. So, you know, as a keynote speaker, you and I have to tap dance uh, metaphorically all the time, but I decided I, I should learn how to do it for real. So that's something that most people don't know about me. So you can probably tap dance through any situation with style and grace as opposed to the rest of us who just kind of are clumsy and getting through it. Well, we're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and and though I'm sure there are people in our audience who have a definitive interest in adult onset tap dancing, <laughs> that that what I really wanted to talk to you about was the content that's in the Good Fight and really this idea of conflict. And so, just to, as a launching point, what's the greatest misconception that people have about conflict? I think the greatest misconception is that conflict makes things worse and actually avoiding conflict can make things a lot worse and getting to the other side of conflict, working through it can make things a lot better. So whether that's um, conflict makes us less productive or conflict erodes trust or conflict makes me stressed, um, it's actually avoiding the inevitable conflicts that exist that makes all those things happen. And if you get them on the table and work through to the other side of them, you can actually become more productive. You can strengthen the trust in your relationships and you can become a lot less stressed. So that's a really common misperception. And, and, and I'm guessing that there are people in the audience right now thinking, oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, every time I'm fighting with someone, so that can't be good. But conflict doesn't necessarily mean nastiness. Conflict, I don't believe the the um, poster child for what conflict should look like is the United States government. Um, right. And United yeah, States they're, politics. They're really not the poster children for many things at the yeah. moment. So, um, so yeah, I absolutely agree. And what we need is to change the image people have in their heads of what conflict can and should look like, which is just a, a struggle between things that are in tension with one another and opposing demands and opposing needs. And if if you are human, you are confronted with opposing uh, needs and demands all the time on a daily basis, uh, at work for sure, um, at home, absolutely. And so it's just the conflict is really working through those to, to come to a good answer. And you've got some great examples in the book of the types of conflicts that you've helped people work through where you might have people from different departments who are each seeing the world through their own lens. So can you give us some example of uh, examples of situations where 
look, conflict is not only um, not only inevitable, it's actually necessary to get through to where you need to be. Well, let's take sales and ops. Okay. <laughs> this is like the, the mother of all organizational conflicts. Um, if, if sales and operations aren't in conflict in your organization, nobody's working hard enough. So if, if there's a story in the book of a, of a large food company that I was working with, and the head of sales was pretty freaking excited when he managed to make this massive sale of racks of ribs that were going in the, uh, in the big July flyer for barbecue season. And uh, he was so excited. He'd come up with this sort of customized deal to sell to this grocery chain. It was amazing. And he comes back into the meeting room and he's high-fiving until he spots the ops guy who's giving him the side eye. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? And, and of course, for the ops guy, that order of ribs, ribs happen to be uh, really expensive to produce. They have to go through a boning line. They're expensive to, uh, you know, they need a lot of labor. Um, and, of course, uh, pigs don't just come as a set of ribs yet, uh, probably soon. Um, and so that meant he was going to have to deal with a lot of other, uh, both scrap and the other stuff he was going to sell, have to deal with uh, at a lower rate. So for the ops guy, this big customized order just was nothing but headaches. Uh, it was going to kill his efficiency numbers for the quarter, his costs were going to go way up. And so, you know, this is a, a typical situation. Sales and operations should be in tension with one another. And uh, so it's a great example. And if we are only thinking about and advocating and measuring within the silos, then we're never making the best decision for the whole organization. And in fact, in this case, once we could map out that those tensions were supposed to be there and they could all agree, you know what, we need to take this order. It's a big win for the organization, but we need to change the targets for our ops guy. We need to give him more money. We need to make sure he can run an extra line. We need to not penalize him for that. Then all of a sudden we could get to the other end of this and, and problem solve it as, as allies instead of fighting about it as adversaries. Sure. And it may even be that now sales has to go out and sell other parts yeah. of the animal. Anybody want a ham? Yeah. I mean, really, it's just – it's a matter of, great, now you sold the ribs. You realize that – <laughs> that they don't come by themselves. There's the rest of an animal connected to it, and you know that's something that obviously he he may not have thought of because you know if you think about it, there are many there are many components in in virtually every industry that things that used to be scrap all of a sudden become desirable. I know that in restaurants, for example, they used to kind of throw out short ribs, and then chefs figured out a way to make these amazing short rib recipes, and now. Beef short ribs are one of the highest priced things yes. that that, that yeah. a, a butcher can sell, and you're like, "How'd that happen?" Well, because someone figured out, someone innovated. Maybe their innovation needed to be how to um, how to just get the ribs. Yeah, and so that's exactly why another reason conflict is so important. So conflict creates the sparks that create innovation. Right. It, it's somebody then in that conversation fighting about ribs and 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 costs says, all right, well, what if we could actually turn this into a win? What if we could do something different with the hams that add some value to them, make them more expensive, you know, improve our margin? What do we got? What do we got, guys? What can we do, right? We sure. can add some spice rub, or right? So that's where innovation comes from as well. So when you're willing to get the issue on the table and work to the other side of it, all sorts of great things happen. And, and you, you mentioned in the book this notion of conflict debt. 
So talk to us a little bit about conflict debt. Yeah, so conflict debt is just like credit card debt, right? So organizations uh, have conflicts that come up all day, every day, you know, making a trade-off between two strategic priorities, allocating workload among people, deciding who gets a promotion. And so organizations require conflict, but humans run from it usually as fast as they can. And so conflict debt is just what results. So it's all the discussions that really require a resolution that we are ducking, dodging, and deferring because as humans, we don't like to be uncomfortable. So that conflict debt piles up. But like any debt, like your credit card debt, the problem is if you don't pay it off quickly, then you get this compounding uh, interest problem. And with conflict debt, the compounding interest tends to be misalignment goes up and up, trust erodes between people, stress levels really intensify. In companies now, we're seeing short-term disability going up because people just can't face the issues. So conflict debt is is very costly, both in the initial issue where we're not making the call on, on you know, which strategic project to do, but also in all these things that um, really erode the organization uh, if you leave it unsolved for too long. Got it. Even though people say, oh, you know, gee, so-and-so did this. So, so thinking about that example of sales and operations, the human condition might say, well, gee, I'm the ops guy and the salespeople are excited about this. So I don't want to raise any conflict. I don't want to tell them why I'm concerned about this. You know, I, I don't really want to make any waves, so I'm just going to stay quiet. Why is that a problem? So first of all, it's a problem because the organization doesn't get to make the best decision. It might have been a situation where actually taking on the ribs wasn't worth it, right? Yeah. And, and it might have been a situation where, guys, when we do the margin calculations – it's not worth it. We're going to have to run too many lines on this. It means losing these other products and it might not. So it's, there's a really big cost to the organization, but there's a big cost to the individual. So if you think about that uh, head of ops, if he just swallowed it and said, you know what, I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to, I don't want to look like I'm not a team player. That's a big line we hear all the time. Um, Then what happens is resentment starts to build. And my favorite line about resentment is actually from Nelson Mandela, who knew a lot about what resentment could do to you, having spent so many years in prison. He said, resentment is poison you swallow, hoping someone else will die. And so when we have a conflict with a teammate that we don't surface, we swallow the poison and we get more and more dissatisfied, more frustrated. But of course, they don't even know about it. They don't know we're annoyed. They don't know that their behavior is causing problems. And so there's no hope of them doing something differently. So our misery just escalates. We poison ourselves, um, but we do nothing to actually make the situation better. So that's what I like to tell people. If, like, if you want to swallow the poison, okay, just know he's, you know, he's not feeling it. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's, you know what? It's a, it's a, it's a great, um, it's a great metaphor or analogy for for kind of getting people to think about this. I know that in personal relationships, it's that whole thing of, well, so-and-so did this, and, and you're nasty at that person. Meanwhile, they're going on their day, and they have no idea yes. that, that you're carrying around this scorn. <laughs> and and it just eats up the person who's being nasty about it. Now, I, I think about in the context of sales, yeah. I have to imagine that the, the same holds true between – a seller and a buyer that it's okay to have some degree of conflict because obviously the seller wants to sell for the maximum price and the buyer wants to get the greatest results at the lowest investment. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so the key thing is, and I think great relationship uh, salespeople, so people who are same side selling, um, they understand that it's not useful to create a, a sale that breeds animosity in the relationship, right? What you want to create is is an ongoing partnership where you're making it work for both sides, that sort of famous win-win scenario. Sure. And so, it, you know, it is not strange. I sell all the time. I'm an entrepreneur, so I have to sell my services every day. Just got off a call with a CEO trying to sell my services. And it is absolutely fine and good and healthy to be talking about, you know, here's what I need out of this and here's what would make this situation work for me. Tell me what you need out of it. What would it make for what would it need to work for you? And and where are those in tension with one another? And, and can we solve for it? Can we figure out? Um, so, you know, I understand your truth. Here's my truth. Is there a path forward? And when you do that and, and, and have candor with the people that you're selling to, they trust you more. Um, they know you're going to tell them. They they know that they can count on you and you're not trying to nickel and dime them or, or not, you know, putting up with a price at the outset that where you're losing your shirt and therefore you're going to have to be finding them other ways of charging them all along the line. So there's a lot of really uh, unpleasant um, and, and sometimes even unethical sales practices that come from the fact that we weren't willing to actually put our needs on the table at the beginning. If you don't already have your copy of the new Same Side Selling second edition, the one with the red cover, then visit samesideselling.com or go to any place books are sold. And if you do already have your copy, I would be amazingly grateful if you took the time to post an honest review on Amazon. Yeah, it's, it's interesting where even if you think about for years, one of the most common procurement tactics was they would do these reverse auctions. And savvy procurement teams realize, you know what? What we're getting is people who are the low bidder. Because they don't really understand what it takes. Yes. And yes. so, wow, we got a great deal on something that doesn't work. Like, yeah. We yeah. paid 20% less for not getting the results. It's awesome. Yeah, it's very frightening. And, and it's it's really horrible when you're one of the people bidding in that situation, right? Because you, you know, look, we can bid it at what we know it's going to cost to do it well. Uh, and lose, <laughs> or we can right, or we can bid in a way that we know we'll lose our shirts, and so you end up being in a situation where you're just waiting for the other guy who won to disappoint them, so you'll get your second chance, and that's incredibly dysfunctional. When we've set up a whole ecosystem where you know the people who with the expertise and in the know are are just sitting around waiting for everybody else to disappoint the client. Sure, and in the world of same side selling. We actually encourage people to have that little bit of conflict and say, look, I realize this is the approach you're, you're going with and, um, and and our sense is that going in this path, you're not going to get the results that you need. So we're going to respectfully decline to participate if you can yeah. have a discussion that is not just treating everything as apples to apples, which it isn't, would love to participate. And then you're just trying to get to the truth as quickly as possible. It's not about – trying to persuade them one way or the other. It's just opened their eyes that, huh, maybe I'm not getting the same thing I thought I was getting. Yeah. And if you are too expensive for what they actually need, that's okay. Sure. Um, but the problem is how often that they're not actually getting the, 
real information they need because we're all just tiptoeing around so afraid of losing the opportunity when, you know, particularly in relationship-based selling, you're, the confidence of the buyer goes up so much higher when you can demonstrate that you know what they need and you know what it actually involves. So, you know, I think, you know, conflict. So the, the line I use with the book all the time is some things are worth fighting for. And there are client relationships that are really worth fighting for. Sure. And, and Leanne, one of the things that I think in the good fight you do so well is you don't just leave it to chance in what conflict means. So you actually even provide a conflict code for people on how to approach conflict. So can you give us some insight into that? Yeah. So it, this came up years ago. I was giving a big keynote and and somebody threw up their hand in the question period and asked something about, but you know, how do I do it and still be nice? And so I said, okay, here's the deal. I'll write uh, a handbook called The Conflict Strategies for Nice People. And so Harvard <laughs> Business Review published the article called Conflict Strategies for Nice People. It's still one of my all-time best articles for, for hits. Um, and so it really is the actual words. So um, I'll give you one example. I call this strategy the two truths. So I was working with a leadership team of an arts organization, and they were really struggling to get enough funding for the year to do what they wanted to do. And so the head of fundraising just threw out an issue. She said, I think we need to show the board our budget with the deficit. And what she had done is jump to a solution, which tends to cause conflict. And the the CFO just you know, chastises her with, we have a fiduciary responsibility to balance the butt. You know that you freaked out the finance guy when he uses the word fiduciary. Um, and so I just said, okay, stop. Let's go back and let's have this as a productive conflict. So I want you to, you know, to the CFO, I want you to ask her, what was she trying to accomplish with that? So we got them to go through that. And I said, okay, so what, what she said is, look, I just don't think our donors and our board have a, have a sense of urgency about what we're giving up. So I wrote on the whiteboard, truth number one, need greater urgency. And it was funny because as soon as I did that, the artistic director, sort of the spiritual leader of the organization, bangs the table and says, I totally agree. <laughs> so we'd gone from this woman being, you know, not living up to her fiduciary responsibility to her, you know, surfacing this super important issue. And I said, OK, for, for you, what's it about? And he says, of course, you know, we got to show that we know how to balance the budget. That's our job. So, okay, truth number two, um, balance the budget, live up to our fiduciary responsibility. And I said, okay, if both of those things are true, we need to increase the sense of urgency and we need to show that we can manage a budget. What do we do? And it was almost embarrassing. It was about 30 seconds it took them to come up with the idea of having one piece of paper, all the budget line items on the piece of paper with a dotted line drawn so that anything above the line was funded and anything below the line wasn't funded. And, you know, the board could see we're going to have to dance the nutcracker naked because we can't afford the costumes. And all of a sudden they go, oh, maybe we need to, you know, maybe we need to pick up the phone and, and try and get some more callers. So this way of actually talking about both uh, points of view as true. So what is your truth? What is my truth? And and what's a path forward where we can solve for both of those things being true at the same time, like this awesome, you know, one piece of paper that solved the problem. So that's one of the conflict strategies is to call out the truth. What it does is it actually 
it validates people. It's quite amazing. If you write someone's words on a whiteboard, suddenly their shoulders go down two inches, they relax, they settle into, okay, we can have this conversation. Where before we'd been fighting about, you know, only one person being right. So that's one of the conflict strategies for nice people in the book. There's five others. And, and, one, of the, and one of the questions I have is, did they charge more or less for the naked nutcracker? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, now we're back to the innovation because if somebody had said, hey, that's a whole different market we haven't tapped into yet and like we got this, great point. They, they didn't get there. I love it. to and, call them back. One of, the, one of the other things that I want you to talk about is in, in the book, you talk about this idea of the impact technique that is specifically useful when – Let's say you're, let's say you're, and it could be internal, it could be with a client. Somebody presents an idea that is yeah. just a non starter. <laughs> it's like, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it reminds me of a movie where, um, was it the movie Night Shift where someone says, I know, let's feed mayonnaise to tuna. And that way, <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, that's really not going to work. So what are the, what are the, what's the process of this impact um, technique on when someone comes up with a crazy idea, how you deal with that? Yeah, so the, the fundamental idea behind the impact technique is that we would much rather figure out for ourselves that our idea is dumb than hear it from someone else. So that's the fundamental premise. And so what you do instead of going – uh, just feeding mayonnaise to the tuna is not going to make the actual flesh come out juicy. Like that. It's not going to work. Instead of saying that, you say, you know, hmm, where do you think that mayonnaise is going to go once the tuna eats it? Right? You ask a question that draws their attention to what you see as the gap in the plan. So, you know, you're proposing that we launch the beta version of this uh, product only to our customers on the West Coast. Um, so maybe this is a completely crazy idea, dumb, totally misses the point. And actually, maybe it's your East Coast customers that are, you know, really the leaders. Then you say, you know, how's that going to be perceived by our national accounts, right? Or, or something like that. For you sure. ask a question that is uh, open-ended enough that it uh, creates curiosity, uh, it, it keeps the intensity level pretty low so that it's not too pointed, um, but it draws their attention to a, an area or a gap or a hole in the plan where they haven't really thought about the impact or the implications of it. And when people go, often the result you'll get is people will go, I didn't think of that. Yeah. You go, okay, let's just think about that for a minute. Let's play it out. You can use languages. Let's just play it out. Um, you know, and then you can move to some what ifs. Okay, so it's going to give us trouble with our national accounts. What if we actually, rather than thinking about regions, what if we actually only rolled it out to our national accounts first and we waited on, on accounts that are only in one region, you know, as an example? How might that work? And then you can test some solutions. Um, but the whole concept is don't just contradict someone or make them feel um, – wrong or dumb because then you get in the tug of war. Oh yeah, well I think it is a good idea. And then it's adversarial. If sure. you just ask this big open ended question, you'll evoke a lot more curiosity, get them thinking about it, and more often than not have them realize, you're right, you know, I was just, you know, thinking out loud and and we need something different. Or you can even say, you know, what I like about that idea is X. So let's keep pursuing that. But how do we do that without, you know, disengaging our national account? So can we take what's cool about your idea 
and you know make it work for the national account. So then you have this way forward and that's constructive and that's really more like problem solving than fighting. That's fantastic. Yeah, you know what? It's and it's something that it's very same side. It's the same sort of thing that that we talk yeah. about in same side selling, which is when when someone says, "Oh, well, we we just want this for you know for ten thousand dollars, and your solution is fifty. Say, you know, the the only way that we can envision doing something like that is if we cut these corners. But let's just talk through it. How how do you envision we could do it at that price point? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and then let the client say, well, there's no way anyone could really do it at that price point. Okay. So so right. what do you think that tells us about the other vendor you're talking to? They don't know what they're doing. Okay. But we didn't say it. They said it. So you're right. letting people – I often say that effective selling is not about persuasion or coercion. It's about getting to the truth as quickly as possible. And it sounds like it's the same message in conflict, which is, look, it's it's okay to have the good fight, but it doesn't have to be – a nasty fight. It can just be a discussion. And I love, I love the line of the book that says you communicate with people, not to people. Yeah. And people get that wrong all the time. So much of our communication is sort of one way on transmit. Let me tell you, right. And we communicate to them, but communicate actually means to make common and you can't make common with someone from one side. You need same side. So so that's a a really important piece of the puzzle um, is to make sure that you're communicating with them to to then bring both of you closer together. Excellent. And and for those organizations who haven't embraced this yet, aside from buying the book, what are one or two things that they should think about and that they can implement right away that could make a difference for them? Obviously, in addition to running out and on Amazon or wherever they can find it, get the good fight. Yeah, so the what I encourage is for every team leader to have a conversation with the team where you go role by role in the team and you say, okay, what's the unique thing this role brings to this team? What would we miss or ignore if you weren't here to raise this issue? That's the first question. Secondly, what stakeholder are you advocating for? And third, what's the thing that we need you to say even if we all groan and roll our eyes when you say it? And if you can go around each role at the table and as you go, it's so fun to watch the light bulbs go on. And and so in that ribs example, right? So that sales guy, when we did that exercise, he said, look, I'm here to make sure we're differentiating for the different grocery chains. And so I'm trying to get really customized products so they can, our customers can differentiate themselves from one another. Okay, great. That's exactly what you're doing. You're thinking of the grocers and you're trying to create differentiated products. Great. Okay, ops guy, you know, what are you here to do? I'm here to really make sure we have consistent products so yeah. then systematize, make us more efficient. And for me, my stakeholder is really the plants. And and so you know, how's that working for you guys, right? And the minute that they see that that's not friction between them as individuals. That's tension among the roles that's supposed to be there. Everybody's like, oh. And so I I sum it all up into um, conflict is a feature on teams, not a bug. Yeah, I love it. It's supposed to be there. Absolutely love it. So Leanne, what's the best way for people to learn more about what you're doing and connect with you? So, so Leanne Davy gets you me pretty much everywhere, LinkedIn and Twitter, and it's my website. The only problem is Leanne Davy's really hard to spell. So let me just say it's L I 
A-N-E. So Leanne is spelt like Diane, just yep. to confuse things. And Davey with an E. So D-A-V-E-Y. So LeanneDavey.com, Leanne Davey on LinkedIn or Twitter, um, Facebook, Dr. Leanne Davey, uh, any of those places. And I just love to hear stories of where people start to pay down their conflict debt, <laughs> where they share with me, okay, here's, here's what I tried and it worked or those sorts of things. So I'd really encourage your listeners to uh, reach out and let me know how it goes. Absolutely fantastic. And we will include all that detail in the show notes. So Leanne, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. And I encourage people to run out and get the good fight because I've enjoyed it. And I think that other people will too. I knew I was thrilled to be here. See, I was right. (laughs) Leanne shared so much great insight. Let me give you a quick 30 second recap. The key information I think you can use and apply to your business right away. First, remember, we communicate with people, not to them. So it's not a one-directional channel of communication. Sales and ops need to be in conflict in order to reach good collaboration, to reach a good outcome. And remember that there's this idea of conflict debt. If there isn't enough conflict in your organization, you can actually be worse off rather than better. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should cover or a guest I should have on the program, drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer.